Hey everybody, thank you so much for joining in to listen to Gen X Playback. I am Scott, one half of the Brothers High, and we're going to begin part two of our conversation on Tom Hanks movies. Part one involved Tom's work in the 1980s. Part two is the 1990s, and we will kick things off with our discussion on the 1990 movie release, Joe versus the Volcano. Enjoy part two of our series on Tom Hanks. Did a movie called Joe versus the Volcano. This was his first movie with Meg Ryan. Right. Playing his love interest at the end of the movie. Uh, plays a guy who is told that he has a terminal illness. Brain and, fog. And then he is uh, he gets this financial offer to go out to this remote island and sacrifice himself because the... Uh, they're trying to mine this super valuable mineral off of the island. And the only way that they can do it is if they agree to have somebody sacrificed for, as part of their 100-year ritual. This is a movie that I actually did see in the theater, uh, believe it or not. And I saw it with a group of people. And I remember not really wanting to see the movie. <laughs> but but uh, the girls in the group decided that this was the movie we were going to see. I did not get it at the time. I did not enjoy it. It was something that just didn't speak to me. And I, I, I for years, I've thought, ah, Joe versus the Volcano, not a big fan. Uh, you know, I thought Meg Ryan was, you know, cute in the movie, but that's about it. I actually watched it here just the other day, and it, it, I actually got it. You know, I think it's the difference between me being 22 years old and watching it at the time, and, uh, you, know, you know, as opposed to having lived a life where when when Joe is offered the deal, they really do a good job of portraying how miserable his life is. And that you can kind of see how, you know, life isn't always going to be perfect. And he's given this option and he's told, you know, listen, you're going to die. Turns out he's not really going to die, but he's told he's going to die. He was set up. He was set up, but why not go out like a king? And, and the guy uh, who is you know, Meg Ryan's dad in, in, the, in the movie gives him like, all expenses, anything he wants, you can just live it up for a couple of weeks, you know. And so he max, you know, he just get, takes the, the the gold cards out and just spends, 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 and then he goes off to jump into the volcano. And you can kind of understand now why somebody might decide to do that. And and he had been a firefighter in the past, so he was somebody that had courage, and he understood that you know he was making this was a courageous thing that he was doing to save this island and the people. So it's a movie that I actually kind of liked when I watched it again. So. If you didn't like it when you're 22 years old, don't write it off. Go back and watch it again. The other movie that he did that year was The Bonfire of the Vanities. And this movie was a spectacular failure, not because of Tom Hanks, but it was not a very good story. It had Melanie Griffith and Bruce Willis, big cast. And he, uh, his, you know, his character, Sherman McCoy, played a wealthy guy. He had a, um, you know, Melanie Griffith played his, his girlfriend. And... The, the premise of it is that uh, she accidentally hits uh, some kids in the street in New York City, and then they, they flee the scene, and then they have to go back, and they have to go to court, and they're being uh, challenged. It becomes a racial thing. Morgan Freeman, I believe, plays the judge in this movie. I saw it once when it first came out. Didn't particularly care for it. Didn't, didn't have a lot of chemistry to it. I thought he was pretty good in it in terms of his character, and, um, but the rest of it was kind of hard to buy. And when I read on it recently, when we we're getting ready for the show, I, I read that this movie was just, uh, 
filled with all types of casting problems and story problems and they rewrote recasted and they the, the budget was very, it was a very expensive movie because of all the people that kind of got moved in and out of this uh, of this movie so it was kind of doomed from the start i think i don't think it had a chance to do well so the the i actually read the book before i saw the movie and i it's probably never a good idea to do that this was a good book and I remember starting to watch the movie, but once again on KY, I didn't go to the theater, and I turned it off. It, it, it wasn't following the book. It's not how the characters were developed in the book, and the fact that they rewrote which what was a really good story in the book explains why it was just doomed to fail. And so it, this kind of shows, you know, where actors, they, they go up and down with their careers. So, you know, this is a couple in a row where it, these were not huge hits for Tom Hanks. And so... I think he had talked about this before when, you know, this is 1990. So 1999 for the first time since he starts making movies consistently, this is the first year where he's not doing anything. So you could probably say that this is a little bit of a downturn in his career, Mm -hmm. where his career is kind of at that crossroads. And fortunately for him, he gets an offer from again, Penny Marshall, who he did big with to do a league of their own. And this is the, not only is this a, a big, this is an all-time movie. This is something that they'll play on the MLB network for the rest of time. This is one of the one of the best. It, it's a movie about an all women's baseball league. If you if you haven't seen it, but this is one of the best sports movies ever made, in my opinion. It's a time period piece set in World War II. Uh, it's loosely based on the All American Women's Baseball League, which did occur back then. His character, Jimmy Dugan, was loosely based on uh, a major league player, uh, Jimmy Fox, mm-hmm. right. who Philadelphia. Was, was one of the greatest baseball players of his time, was known as a hard liver, you know, somebody who partied a lot, drank a lot, basically ended his career sooner than it should have because he didn't take care of himself. So that's Jimmy Dugan's character, and he ends up starting as, as a falling down drunk, but by the end of the movie, he actually is involved and uh, it's following that team through that very first season. Gina Davis is in this movie. But again, like I said, one of the best sports movies ever made in you know my, my opinion, hands down. And you had some big names from the time. I mean, Madonna was in, in the movie as All the Way May and, and Rosie O'Donnell's in the movie. But, you know, John Lovitz. John Lovitz isn't in the movie for that long. But he, as the, as the scout, has some of the funniest lines you will ever hear in a movie, even if you just go into YouTube and just watch some of the John Lovitz clips, put John Lovitz, A League of Their Own, and he's hilarious. There's also, I'm gonna, there's one scene all of you need to go back and watch again, and that's where John Lovitz discovers Marla Hooch. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Again, Sean and I don't talk about these things before, so go ahead. Well, no, if if you have more prepared, it's just that I watched it just like last night, just, just, just and I even though I know it's coming, but it, you know so I, I'll set up a little bit then you can finish. But you know Marla Hooch is the you know John Lovis is the scout and he's going out and he's scouting these these uh, female players because they have to get this league started. So they're they're taking the train. You know he he discovers uh, uh, Gina Davis her character and and Kit her sister and and they're you know they're these good baseball players. Well they didn't really want Kit, but because Gina Davis's character is, is incredible and Kit's pretty good, so she can come along too. And then they stop off, and there's the, they're in this gymnasium, and there's this guy saying, hey, "I train my daughter myself," and and she's because it's a cold day, and 
and uh, she's hitting ropes right hand and she's just smashing it, it's breaking windows. Yeah, yeah. And he, he's then she goes okay, more or less left handed and like oh no. And so yeah, all the players in the field moan and she goes over and she just is ripping everything. And then so finally, he's he's he says to John Lovett's character he goes he goes he goes. He goes, if I, he goes, if she was a boy, I'd be talking to the Yankees right now. And, and he goes, okay, let's see her. I've seen enough. And then I'll, you can go from there. Well, she takes her hat off and he gets a look at her. And he's like, ooh, just a look <laughs> on his face. Ooh, we'll get back to you. <laughs> and, and he starts to walk away. And, and, the, and the, the two girls that he brought down, Gina Davis, uh, Kit and, um, and Dottie. And so they're like, well, she's great. Why are you walking away? Because because she's ugly you know she's she's not a good looking woman and so they don't they refuse to leave until until he agrees to take her uh take her with them so but it's just a great uh he's a scene stealer in the movie yeah no doubt but it, it's a really good movie and it it does a good job of the the action scenes in it are, are really good as well i mean the baseball scenes like you said the mlb network is going to show this a lot just because it, it's well shot uh, a, a little uh Little uh, shout out to the uh, our seventies uh, show where we you know we talk about uh, Laverne and Shirley. Squiggy makes an appearance as an announcer, which is kind of nice to see. Well, I wanted I wanted to touch on this because uh, in that New York Times interview that I that I caught with with Tom Hanks, he he talked about he actually Penny Marshall called him and said, "I want you to play Jimmy Dugan in in A League of Their Own." He reads the script and he goes back to Penny. He goes, "Why do you want me to do this?" He's like this guy's older than me. He's in his forties and he's washed up. And, and, and Penny's like, exactly. He goes, uh, she said, think about it, that he's a guy who should have been great until he was 40, but he, he basically wasted his, you know, he cheated himself that opportunity because he didn't, because he was a drunk. And as soon as she put it in those terms, he's like, he said, it's like the, you know, the light went off and he finally goes, ah, I, I get it. You know, and, and when you actually go back and watch the movie and watch his character, you look at it from that perspective where he's he he's bitter because he should have been he knows in his mind I could have been the best player of all time. He was great. But I wasted myself. But he could have been the greatest. Yeah. It's kinda of, you know, anybody that's follow ever followed Mickey Mantle's career, that was his true regret was that he basically drank, you know, five or six great years away from himself. So that's kind of that that same mentality that he has and he really puts a great spin on uh, on the movie where uh you know like you said he's, he's a guy who starts out rock bottom but by the end he buys into what these women are doing and believes in them as as baseball players because he's during the i don't have i don't have ball players i have girls and then you know he makes the one girl cry and of course the very famous scene where he's like there's no crying in baseball mm-hmm. where he's just and it's you go back and you and if you watch the unedited version where he curses her, where he says what Rogers Hornsby calls him when his parents came down from Michigan and I was and that was just to see me play and you know you know it's just it's one of the great truly great scenes in, in movies let alone sports movies or, or that that time period but it's just one of the best one of the best movies ever made I think it was and and you know the same year ninety two now a movie not nearly as big as a League of Their Own and a movie that uh, uh, Tom Hanks doesn't have as much screen time in is Radio Flyer. He is the narrator. He's, he's the, it, it's it's a, a story, you know, flashing back to his character. He plays the character Mike, 
where he goes back in time. So, it, it, I mean, he's involved with it, but he's not definitely not carrying the show like he is in a league of their own. Yeah, yeah. And it, like you said, it was more of a backseat type role. Um, he doesn't really make his next big movie until again in 1993, where he does Sleepless in Seattle. Teams up again with with Meg Ryan. Uh, as our mom told us, this was probably her favorite Tom Hanks movie of all time. She loves this movie, romantic comedy, where it actually has his wife in it, Rita Wilson. She plays a supporting character, but mm-hmm. she's not the love interest. And so she, so they, they kind of bringing some people back into to, to his little acting sphere. And it's about a guy who's, who loses his wife at the beginning of the movie to cancer. And it's just him and his young son. And the son is wants his dad to get into a relationship again. So he calls this national talk show on the radio and, and through this whole sort of magical connection, he ends up meeting Meg Ryan's characters from Baltimore, Maryland and they end up meeting at New York City at the Empire State Building. But it's it's a charming movie. Kind of takes you back maybe to some of his earlier acting. With uh, but it, his character has a lot more depth than maybe some of his early characters did in the eighties. He he does a great job of playing a romantic interest that's not sappy. And and somewhere along the the line in here and during this this run that that you, we just described those movies that that we talked about. Tom said that he went to his agent and he he said, I don't want to play characters anymore that don't control their own destiny. And you think about some of the guys that he played, there were there might be circumstances beyond his control that he had no control over. Well, he's starting to be able to do that. And and you can see that in Sleepless in Seattle. He has choices. You know, he it, it's up to him whether he meets Annie at the top of the Empire State Building. He's not forced into it by somebody else. When he's doing the money pit, those decisions are out of his control. Shelley Long might be making some decisions for him, but when when he's in Sleepless in Seattle, he's in complete control, so he's playing romantic. It's, it's romantic comedy, sure. It's not slapstick comedy. It's funny because he's got funny little lines that he throws out there, and you just can't deny the chemistry between Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. I mean, they, they'll come back later on and, and do and work again later. But what they started with Joe versus the Volcano definitely is is at its peak here with Sleepless in Seattle. And this is one of the all-time classic romantic movies. This is one that you still see on TV a lot. And you should. Still see it 20, 20 almost 30 years later. It, it's a movie, you know, in the movie, Annie's, you know, reciting lines from from famous romantic movies and crying. It's a movie that women are still saying and a, lines from and crying. And a fair to remember. Come on. Yeah. All right. Next movie, this, this, this really is uh, one of the movies that even, if you could think of after movies like Big, A League of Their Own, Sleepless in Seattle, you know, he's pretty much at the top of his game. This is this is a game changer when he does Philadelphia in 1993. Completely different type of character that he does. And the job that he does in this movie is, it really shows how far he has come as an actor and the type of character and, and role that he can take on and be so good at it, be so believable in Philadelphia of a, of a gay attorney who gets AIDS and he's counter suing. He's, he gets fired from his job. So he sues his employer, which is a law firm. It's, it's a high powered law firm. And they're basically making accusations of him going, digging into his past because of him being homosexual. And he does end up dying at the end of the movie. 
in to me one of one of the more touching scenes that I think I've ever seen in, in a movie where Denzel Washington's character who played his attorney right. and, and he was nothing more than like an ambulance chaser type attorney uh, in Philadelphia. He Get, was, he was, you know, the epitome of, for those of you who watch Better Call Saul, I mean, he was a storefront attorney when, when Andy Beckett, you know, Tom Hanks's character goes to see him. It's literally in a storefront. You can see from behind, uh, you know, when, when Denzel Joe, the character, when he's there sitting at his desk, you see the storefront, the, the, the window right behind him. Yeah, and and it, Andy Beckett, Tom Hanks's character, goes there because he's out of choices. Uh, he, like yeah. everybody, nobody will take his case, and so they agree to do the case together. Well, Joe doesn't even want to take the case right. at first, and then they end up, but they end up winning at the very end. And um, you know, when he finally finds out that he wins the case, he dies. And it's one of the more touching scenes that I've ever seen in like, in like something that kind of grabs you emotionally because you, you know the connection between the two and how far they've come. Because in the beginning, they didn't particularly care for each other. Um, you know, Hanks' character is, is a very high-powered attorney. Denzel Washington's character, not so much. So they were not – it took them a very long time in the movie, basically the entire movie itself – to get to that even ground where they look at each other as equals. Right, because Andy Beckett would have been Silver Spoon in his mouth, Ivy League, working at a high-powered law firm, a, a position that was probably given to him right after he had clerked out of law school got, and, and was on a partnership track, like, immediately. He's, he's you know, he is made it in the in the legal profession in Philadelphia, where Denzel probably was first generation to go to college. He is, he's a man of the, you know... He, he, like you said, the ambulance chaser. He is the guy that's that's down, duking it out down on the streets. And in, in the, without this this lawsuit happening, they're never gonna never gonna meet. It, it, you know, Andy Beckett from a year before, before he, or whenever he he gets AIDS, before that, he has no time for Joe Miller. And Joe Miller, as it turns out, you know, has has no time for people that are homosexual have, have AIDS. And then they they eventually come together and they you know it, it is kind of interesting to see how, how they do work together tom hanks wins the academy award for his performance i think denzel washington could have won the academy award yeah. for his performance as well in, in many ways when i watched it you know denzel's character is the one that i was drawn to i i think yeah in in many ways even though um you know hanks's character is central to the movie i think it's washington's performance that kind of keeps the movie going in the direction that you finally want to see it go to because he's the one trying the case in court. So it's basically his words that are getting Andy Beckett's uh, resolution to the, uh, to the lawsuit. And a lot of the way, uh, in a lot of ways you see the movie through the eyes of Joe Miller and it, from his perspective and uh, you know, kind of what he was dealing with, you know, because he's, he's trying to break through with some of the, the, the racial issues, you know, with Denzel is obviously black. And so that his character is black and, you know, it's there is especially when the time when this movie is shot, they're they're portraying it as as a difficult time to break through, and this is it it it, it is it it deserves the accolades that it has received over the years. It's it's a good film. If you've never seen it, you know you do need to go out and see it. So, what do you? How do you follow up? You know, how do you follow up a perfect game if you're using a, a sports reference? So you go out and you throw another perfect game, and your next movie is Forrest Gump. One of the one of the if not greatest, at least the, the, the most well-known movies in history. And a movie that is still making money to this day, gets played constantly on cable television, 
you see it everywhere. Every, I think I don't know of anybody that doesn't know Forrest Gump references. Or, yeah, I mean, everybody recites lines yeah. from Forrest Gump. So interestingly enough, and I didn't really connect dots, but he does like to work with previous, you know, cast members. Mm-hmm. Again, Sally Field shows up in this movie. Only he plays; she plays his mom, and uh, you know, but just again, an all-time movie, one of the best. Uh, if you, if anybody fought, had, have watched Woody Allen movies in the past, Woody Allen did a movie called Zelig, where there's a guy who always has a habit of showing up at these famous events. Well, that's kind of what Forrest Gump's character is loosely based on, but it's essentially his life through. The oh, he's, got, he's, he's a man with a very low IQ. Yes, and that you know the idea is here's this guy. He's he's so limited in his intelligence. He starts out where he's got these physical deformities as a child. He's wearing these braces. You know, Jen is run, Forrest, run. You know, that you hear all the time. He can't run, so he's they eventually run, and they, he becomes a great runner. You know, he's he becomes such a good runner that he eventually gets a scholarship to the University of Alabama. That's right. And who, who appears as Bear Bryant, but Ina Strait, which I, I, I loved <laughs> the first Dukes, time I saw it. From the Dukes of Hazard. Yep, that's exactly right. I, that, I mean, that, that was incredible. So, you know, Forrest, he goes from that, he just falls into it. It's almost like it's dumb luck. He's He's at the right place at the right time. He's, he, he, he's, you know, he goes to Vietnam. He meets Lieutenant Dan, you know, who it's like, you can't kill Forrest Gump. And, and, you know, as great as Tom Hanks is shout out to Gary Sinise Mm -hmm. for the job he did as Lieutenant Dan. He brought so much to that movie and kind of galvanized the Forrest Gump character because even though they met in the Vietnam war, they end up kind of having this sort of a weird relationship because, Forrest Gump doesn't recognize the fact that Lieutenant Dan is very bitter towards him, but yet they still are, they have this connection where they're kind of friends, but Lieutenant Dan won't let them become, but they, they finally make their, he makes his peace. Lieutenant Dan makes his peace and they end up becoming at the end of the movie, uh, you know, pretty close when he shows up and with his magic legs. Well, Lieutenant Dan's destiny was to die in the battlefields. I mean that that was his legacy, and and Forrest denied him that legacy and, and picked him up and ran him off the battlefield. Uh, he got a Purple Heart for it, <laughs> and a Medal of Honor. Got the that uh, the Congressional Medal of Honor, which as he walks out of the the TV studio because he was on TV, Dick Cavett with John Lennon, and he walks out backstage, and there's at the ramp is Lieutenant Dan, the Congressional Medal <laughs> of Honor. Yeah, it's just great. It is a great movie. There's so many good characters. I mean, the Jenny character is great. Lieutenant Dan, Bubba, Bubba. I mean, Sally Field does a great job yes. as 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 his mom in this. It, 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 I like how it takes you through his life in a lot of ways. It takes you through the different eras. It, it it's just an excellent movie. So here you go, Gen Xers. Um, there's an early scene when when uh, Forrest is a little boy and he's dancing to Elvis Presley up in the uh, guest room before it was time for dinner. And uh, when mama went up and scolded him for dancing, shaking his hips that way. Can anybody tell me who the voice was of Elvis Presley in the movie Forrest Gump? Well, I don't think I know. It would be Kurt Russell. The Kurt actor Russell, Kurt really? Russell did the voice. And if you, if you go back and listen to it again, that when you know it's Kurt Russell, okay. then you can hear it. All right, I'm going to go back and listen. So that was Kurt Russell that did the voice of Elvis in uh, Forrest Gump. So, so I'm sure there's a few of you out there that haven't seen Forrest Gump, but probably not too many. Yeah, 
I mean, we probably don't need to break down the whole plot because it, it's so well known. So at this point in Tom's career, uh, you know, as one of his interviews, he stated that somebody came to him and they said, so, you know, where do you feel like you're at at your career right now? And so they basically they posed the question to him is what kind of characters do you want to play? And he said that was the first time anybody in a movie studio ever asked him that. He said previously they would present him with, um, you know, scripts and characters and he would read them, but he never actually said, Hey everybody, this is what I want to do. And this is the first time that he did that when he plays uh, Jim Lavelle, uh, you know, from NASA in Apollo 13. He said, that was the first time he actually chose a story and a character that he wanted to do. And, and he did this. And again, we're talking about another major hit for him. And you know another Ron Howard film that he, he does with Ron Howard. This was a movie yet again, another movie that I watched again. That you know before we did this podcast, truly a, a fantastic movie. And Gary Sinise once again appears. You know this time, uh, you know Gary Sinise is. Let me get the character's name here. Ken he, Mattingly. I Ken think. Mattingly. Yep. Yeah. So Sinise is Mattingly. You know it's the whole idea is the Apollo thirteen. You know we all have already had the landing on the moon with Neil Armstrong. Uh, you know they're going to go back up again. Uh, the the you know poor uh, Ken Mattingly gets exposed to like the measles. They think you know yeah. the, that, and so he has he's bitter. He has to stay back. It turns out him staying back is probably what saved everybody. Saves their lives. Yeah, I mean that was divine intervention. That you know he's back. He gets re replaced uh, by Jack Swigert. You know who Kevin Bacon plays. You know we have Bill Paxton as Fred Hayes on this, and they they go up. And it's the whole story about this aborted mission, the which was, you know, you know, the 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 Hanks characters, you know, it's it was his dream always to go up there, and he just happened, you know, Jim always just kind of happened to miss out on on being up there, and what they did with the technology at the time was insane. One of the things, and I don't know if this struck you, Scott, you know, when I watched this again, is remember they were doing calculations, mm -hmm. and they quickly all did it freehand mm -hmm. they didn't have calculators yep. and they all and they're checking and they get their slide rollers out and they're all doing the math and like that's kind of how school was back <laughs> then you know we weren't allowed to use calculators uh -huh. in, in you know the the early 70s you went to school and it was like forbidden i'm kind of glad that's the case now i can do math with a piece of paper yes so i'm, I'm glad for that but we didn't have these high-powered phones on us that, we, that could do everything yeah and uh, apollo 13 credit you're talking about a pretty powerful cast here you know a thumbs up to to these guys that you're talking about three very very big actors and probably at the top of their games at the time you're talking hanks bacon and paxton playing these guys that are in this confined space yet they all kind of stayed in their lane in my opinion in terms of being true to the story itself and i think the breakout character was ed harris more or less because mm -hmm. he was the he was the guy that was the you know trying to pump up the troops and i i thought he was the kind of the driving force here but the the, the whole movie just just to the to the t i mean this this may be one of the best ron howard movies that i think i would say he ever made you know what's a good movie when it, it's it's historical we know what happens mm -hmm. we know they make it back i'm watching the movie and I'm nervous. I'm, I, I, I'm excited. I know it's happening. But when, when Mattingly is back at Mission Control 
And he's he's like, or, or when when they're going through the simulator, trying to figure out exactly how they can get them back, how they can save, you know, get get the power to get them back. I, I I'm like, come on, Ken, you know, do it, do it. And it's like, even though I know he does it, but it it still shows you what great uh, fi- uh, or what a great filmmaker Ron Howard is, and also, as you said, how good these actors are, because Kevin Bacon's a big star. And he definitely plays the the low man on the totem pole very well. Yeah. Um, unbelievable run of movies that he's doing right now. So when you go from Apollo 13, the next movie that he's credited with, you don't actually see his face, but one of the most recognizable characters in the 90s uh, is uh, Toy Story, where he plays Sheriff Woody. If any of you Gen Xers have kids or nieces or nephews, if you haven't seen the movie and you're a Gen Xer, I, no, I, I don't believe it. I just don't. It hasn't think, happened. I just don't think so because uh, this movie, uh, if I have seen it a thousand times, I may have seen it more than a thousand times. I've got four kids, and every single one of them, even though the movie came out in 1995, my son Connor, who was born in 1997, one of his favorite movies, my daughter Allie. Born in 1999, one of her favorite movies. Um, Nolan, eh, not so much. He watched it, though, but you're talking... Gavin was all over that film. Oh, absolutely. Your your oldest. And it was just incredible that... uh, And again, you're talking about a big-name cast of people who lent their names or their voices to this movie. Uh, You know, Tim Allen is Buzz Lightyear. And just the whole ensemble. Don Rickles, yeah, just the as the uh, as Mr. Potato Head, and the um, the pig was played by uh, John uh, from Cheers, um, Ratzer Ratzenberger, yeah, John Ratzenberger. So just everybody was a famous was a famous uh, you know famous name on in this cast. Was and, that Pixar's first? It was their first full movie, yeah, for a feature length movie, yeah. Yeah, that's right. They did the little shorts, right? They right. did those shorts, right? And special, just a special, has a special place in my heart, you know, based on the amount of times I watched it with my children. And I know you watched it a lot of time with, with, also your children. with my children. Yeah. So it was uh, one of those, just one of those magical, magical movies. But here's the thing about Toy Story was, you know, where, where I would watch other uh, videos with, with your kids. And I'd be like, oh, great, i got to watch that again. I, I never said that about Toy Story. It's like, hey, you want to watch Toy Story? I think before we went on, on, you know, on the air to talk about this, I had said it's rare when you have an animated movie that the parents enjoy as much as the children do. And Pixar had, you know, they were putting out some quite a few movies like that at the time. And you don't, you don't see that happen very often. And Toy Story was one of those movies where if the kids wanted to watch it, I did. I was right there. Yeah, we'll watch Toy Story again. That's fine. All right. So so we have this run of films here that, that we start out with A League of Their Own. We go Sleepless in Seattle, Philadelphia, Forrest Gump, Apollo 13, Toy Story. Some of the biggest, most well-known movies of all time. And then he comes out with a movie which I love. Love it. Love it. That Thing You Do. And it, this was a movie that Tom Hanks wrote he directed. This was a movie that, that Tom Hanks said he was doing the circuit for Forrest Gump. So he did this thing. You know, Forrest Gump, uh, it came out, out in 1994. So he has all this time on the road. He's promoting this thing. And he needs a break from Forrest Gump. So he starts writing this. And the, the product of that, because he loved the British invasion. So he writes this thing called 
this thing you do and, and give a little breakdown of what it is because it's I, I love it because it starts in Erie, Pennsylvania. Yeah, the guys are it's, it's this little band from Erie, Pennsylvania. They try to make their names clever. They they're called the Wonders, but they spell their names the with, o, o, with o n e, yeah, and everybody mispronounces the Oneaters. The, yeah, they call them the Oneaters. They have one groupie who's played by Liv Tyler, who's Stephen Tyler's daughter. Yes, mm-hmm. and so you know the um, it's sort of a band of guys who become better known actors over time, and they have this one. They have this one song. The, the lead singer is kind of the serious one. He's That'd the be fo- Jimmy. He's the focused one. Yeah. And then the other the, the um, guitarists are, are guys that one ends up joining the army and leaves. That's yeah. the that's the unnamed bass player who who interestingly, if you go through the credits, is not named and he's like uh, TB player and it's the bass player. Yeah. And and I heard Hank say that he will get like angry fan mail sometimes from people saying why doesn't he have a name and he's like throughout in the entire movie even the they they're at the end of the movie they go through this long run they go out to um to california mm-hmm. and then he disappears at an amusement park yes, he meets up with some army guys which who, he eventually enlists right but so he gets replaced and even the character that replaces him is called the wolfman right. so at least he has a name right but so the the band is jimmy it's Lenny, the wacky lead guitar player. Yep. It's uh, the unknown bass player, and then it's Guy, the uh, this this jazz drummer who is is you know kind of a almost like a Tom Hanks character in a bit of a way. Well, and it's his character that sort of keeps the band together loosely uh, as they make their way because they start in Erie, and they just kind of make this circuit. And Tom Hanks is in the movie; he plays Mr. White, the becomes mm-hmm. their manager because he works for the record label. And he ends up dumping them at the end uh, because they couldn't they couldn't get it together and, and make that album out in L.A. Well, they're on the charts and they've they're already done. Yeah, <laughs> and it's 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 a it's a nice story, and I think it anybody who grow up grew up in that area like in that era like our maybe our parents did, particularly our, our mom who was into popular music at the time, but I think she could probably see a lot of connections between the. Um, you know, the band and some of the bands that were being done in the early 60s, you know, before the hippie movement and the flower power came to be. And so this was kind of a, I guess you would call it the sort of the John F. Kennedy, sort of that, you know, Camelot era, in a, you know, end of the innocence sort of era of of the world before you know, you're talking about Woodstock and then you're talking, about, you know, it's just, it was a different time. And Love. I, I really did. I really, I really enjoyed this movie. The the idea how you can be an overnight sensation, and they really portray it well. They are literally overnight sensations, and then done. Well, it's funny because they they go to I believe it was the state fair mm-hmm. out in Indiana, yeah. and but they're playing that same. And, and the and it's funny because Jimmy, the lead singer. By the time they get to L.A., he hates that song. The song he wrote. Yeah, and yeah. he was the one that that wrote it. And but I mean that. He wants to do these other things, but you know you got to keep you got to you know play what got you there, right? And I and I can see why a lot of bands that are one hit wonders why they break up, and and maybe that's just a little look inside the you know look behind the curtain with with some of these groups as to you know by the time they're by the time that song becomes popular, they probably have played it a million times. Do you think Tommy Two Tone really wants to still play eight six seven five three zero nine Jenny? Well, I think he does now. If he wants, <laughs> <laughs> what's a job? What's yeah, a paycheck? Really, yeah, 
but again, great. Uh, you know, a really good movie. Cannot so recommend we, it yeah, enough. Yeah, I've, if it were on, if I go home tonight and and it's on the TV, I'm going to watch it. Probably majority of it. You know, while, while it's on. It is, and of his '90s movies, I, I I may have seen that one the most, just because I like it so much that, like you said, even if I miss a portion of it and it's on, I'll watch it. it it's such a good movie. Yeah. So we go from that. So it, it's it's. It's certainly not a failure by any means, but it's not one of the all-timers. But what do we get next? We get arguably one of the biggest movies ever. One of the one of the best war movies ever made, Saving Private Ryan, where he plays Captain John Miller. Um, so Matt Damon's character is trapped behind enemy lines, and he already has family members that have died. So there's a, a team, a group of, of soldiers that have volunteered to sneak into enemy lines to bring him back to safety because he's got to go home and be with his family. That's the premise of the movie. And it was, um, you know, Steven Spielberg was involved with this. And it was just, the opening scene is is brutally graphic. If you're, if you're not into, uh, you know, violence, uh, you don't want to watch this because D-Day, uh, Normandy, storming the beach at Normandy in France, this is the most realistic opening scene of a war movie I've ever seen. As you know, I, I've been to Normandy and I remember standing on the beach and that's what popped into my head was the opening scene to uh, Saving Private Ryan. It, 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 you could see the boats coming in and, and, and standing there thinking what happened back when they, when this, when this took place, it, it's worth it just to see the opening scene of the movie that that is one of the greatest moments in, in movie history, for sure. But the movie goes on from there, and the Captain Miller character, for my money, is by far the the most intriguing character in the entire movie. Yeah, he um, he's this is where you start to see uh, Tom Hanks take on a character of great leadership, and that would that would be what my memories of Captain Miller in this movie is is that he was a great leader and something that um, you know people can can look at as inspirational. He's a very inspirational character. But he's very closed off. He doesn't yes. let people in. Until the very, very, very end. Very end. When he's dying. <laughs> right. And he, he's like, I'm from Pennsylvania. <laughs> I'm a school teacher. Yeah, I'm a school teacher from yeah. Pennsylvania. Which, which is baffling because he is this hardened, you know, no-nonsense captain. But to get through what they had to go through... That's what it took. You couldn't be this buddy-buddy guy. I mean, I guess you can. I mean, there, there's stories where, uh, you know, I always like reading about uh, uh, William Tecumseh Sherman, whose men loved him. And I, I, I doubt he was like buddy-buddy with him, but, it, you know, he definitely allowed the men to get close to him. And, and he, he definitely, you know, was somebody that, uh, you know, was, was able to have both. Where, you know, the Captain Miller character also shows that you can do it by kind of being a little little cold, a little standoffish, but they all trusted him in the movie. And, you know, he was effective in carrying it out the way he carried it out. But then to hear at the end of the movie that he is just this, has this, this mild manner, everyday, regular guy, because they're all speculating, you know, who, who is this guy? And he's just a school teacher from Pennsylvania. This movie inspired a lot to come out about World War II afterwards it led to band of brothers which it, hanks was involved in which was the book written by Stephen ambrose and through that book was how uh tom hanks came across the story of dick winters who's right. from pennsylvania from lancaster from pennsylvania. Our area. and it dick winters uh, the band of brothers uh, series which aired on hbo 
which is still to this day my favorite military-themed uh, miniseries or movie, whatever you want to call it, of all time. And I think it was the best. Done. And, and Hanks had so much influence into the creation of that and to how it was made. And a lot of it came right back to Saving Private Ryan. Right. So so fabulous, fabulous movie. You know, he comes back then after a Saving Private Ryan in the same year, so 1998, with You Got Mail, another movie with Meg Ryan. Yeah, and this was this was a little bit, he goes back to that romantic comedy. It's kind of this, very similar to Sleepless in Seattle. It is, it is. Although his character is not so likable in this movie. He plays Joe Fox. He's Joe Fox, owner of Fox Books. Who... F-O-X. And they are, they're basically buying up this little section of Manhattan. They're kind of a, like, I mean... You would say Barnes and Noble today, but probably Borders back then. You know, was kind of the mega bookstore right. that was just coming into vogue. It, it, I, I remember th- at this time, I was somebody that would start going to Borders and you know hanging out at Borders. They had the magazine section, and you could they had places to sit down and, and go through the books. Where the little mom and pop bookstores weren't quite as open and friendly. We would, the, the, the first Borders, I mean, it's not there anymore. I mean, we, not, we still have a Barnes & Noble, but the Borders was right next to the Olive Garden. So okay. if you went to the Olive Garden and you had to wait for your table, you would then go over and wait at the Borders, which was kind of the idea. They, they you know, play off each other. So you have the, 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 but that's not what Meg Ryan's store was all about. It was the cozy, come in, Everybody knows you. I know what your interest is. I work here. I know what kind of books you like. Guess what just came in? Oh, I'm going to read some stories to the children. Yeah. And it was a a clash of corporate America versus small business America. And But little did the two of them know that they were actually already speaking to each other online anonymously. And this is part of the new technology of the 90s, which was email and, and chat chatting. rooms yeah. yeah and chat rooms they, they met in an over 30 chat room and so they they started and that's that's kind of you know pre-zoom pre-facetime all that as you gen xers know you know it all started with the email of course al gore invented it but mm-hmm. um they and this uh, is pre-tinder so there's there's there aren't dating apps there aren't apps this is the very beginning of the of the internet and there would be this thing with you would hear with aol you got mail when yeah. you would log on. That was kind of an exciting thing when you you got your first AOL account. And, and whatever that noise was, that was that. Yeah, and it, you know, that was when you knew you were getting a connection. So here, so. here you have the two characters, and they they don't know each other's names. It's uh, you know Joe Fox uh, is known as NY152, and Kathleen is known as Shop Girl. So that's how they communicate. So they have two different relationships going. They have this online world, which is they're kind of interested in each other in this chat room. Yet it turns out that in the real world, uh, Joe Fox is this evil book baron. I didn't know there was such a thing at one time, but he is the evil guy who is just buying up all the small bookstores. And and, and Kat, uh, uh, Kathleen, she, her her store is right, right in his crosshairs. And they're... They're trying to, uh, you know, they're they're business rivals, but unbeknownst to them, you know, they know that face to face that they're business rivals, but then uh, on a personal level, unbeknownst to either of them, is there. Uh, although Joe Fox is, you know, he finds out before Kathleen does that they're actually that talking. she's shop girl, yeah. Yes. So now he's trying to spend because he he finds out he's fallen for, her, so he's trying to figure out how can I bridge this 
animosity between us. And at the end of the movie, of course, with it being a romantic comedy, they do. And I don't want to spoil that for everybody, but they do end up falling in love at the end. And she is happy. Although I was a little surprised when, when the, you know, she goes to the park and he's there and he's, and she's like, I'm so glad it was you. I'm thinking, really? <laughs> I, I don't know about that. I, don't I, know I had that. a similar reaction yeah. to it actually, but still it was a good film. Great. Uh, can you know, great supporting role by, um, What's her name? Jean. Uh, she played uh, Edith Bunker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She was great. In Jean it. Stapleton? Jean Stapleton. She was great in that movie. Something completely unlike uh, Edith. Yeah, because I don't know that we'd seen her since she was Edith. I mean, she had in our lives. away for a long time, yeah. And then she had this, it was a great character. She right. kind of this wise I forgot about her. Who, That's a good one, yeah. Who it turns out, you know, they, she worked in this bookstore, and it turns out she lived quite a full life. Out, you know, earlier before she started working for Kathleen. So. Right. So there's one more, one more movie that he he uh, he comes out with in the in the nineties, and this could be the last one we do uh, to uh, for this episode, and that's the Green Mile, and that that's another for me, that's 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 an all timer, and that that's a movie that I still watch over and over again, and I, I I don't get sick of. Yeah, I Green Mile is is a movie that the first I think the first time I saw it. And I didn't see it in the movie theater. I saw it maybe right after, right after. I didn't see it in the theater. And in in the beginning, I didn't, I didn't stay with it. I didn't try and follow the story. I thought it was a little, a little, uh, out there because obviously the, the the basis is is a is a prisoner in in prison who can do extraordinary John Coffee you know, do miraculous sure. things. So for me, I was I was having a hard time buying it. But after I saw it again, and then. I wanted to watch it again and it, it's, it's a movie that grew on me a lot. And, um, you know, Tom's character again, sort of kind of takes a little bit of a step back. You know, he's, he's, he does a really good job of, of being that person who's central, but yet allows another character in the movie to kind of shine, you know, and I, and I, you think back to Forrest Gump and you think back to Philadelphia and, and to me, the green mile kind of fits in this role where He's sort of the the driving force behind the movie, but yet there's a, you know, uh, Coffee's character is is somebody who who kind of shines through this the you know this portrayal. But it's not just John Coffee. Uh, you know, there's there's uh, Del Delacroix. You know, who who's a um, uh, he's he's got a character like on um, Elmo. He, he's he's the the actor that that's in. I I mean I shouldn't even put this out there because we can cut this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there's, there's, uh, Del, Delacroix, uh, there's, there's Percy, you know, the, the kind of the, the crooked guard that comes in there. There's a uh, William Wild Bill Wharton, who, who's, does a great job of being an insane prisoner. And then of course, who can forget Mr. Jingles, the, the, the mouse the that mouse. Del Delacroix teaches to do tricks. Um, just, just a, a, a great cast. You talk about the fact that, um, Tom Hanks allows these these side roles to to have shape and come forward. You know he, by the nature of the character that he plays, you know he's this he's a, he's a warden supervisor. He's the Green Mile. This is the this is the block where you go before you get to the electric chair. So the whole idea is going. You know you know you come here, and this is your final destination. But but Tom Hanks's character um, is going to treat you with respect, and it's he's going to be firm. He's going to be just, but there's going to be respect. And that's kind of the rules that he goes by. And it, it, 
just allowing these characters to play off each other. You talked about John Coffey. He's got these these supernatural powers. These he's the you know, but he unjustly goes to the electric chair, and then of course you know John Coffey, uh, you know, ends up having to pay a price at the end of the movie for, as he says, allowing this this you know one of God's angels to go to the electric chair. Right. I respect the fact that as a, as an actor that they the whole ensemble took something and again it I look at it as a fantastic story and and he again plays a regular basically a regular guy in this in this movie and allows the uh, you know the coffee character to to do these things so. kind of amazing when you now look at the at the uh, Gen X nineteen eighty through nineteen ninety nine arc of Tom Hanks, he goes from playing a man in drag, Buffy, <laughs> to this dignified, middle-aged, uh, you know, warden supervisor on the Green Mile, and he is now considered one of the greatest actors of all time at this point. He just has an incredible string of hits that are just showing his ability. He's already won two Academy Awards at this point. I don't think anyone would have predicted that Tom Hanks from Bosom Buddies ends up being what we see at the end of the 90s. To me, um, you know, my memories of Tom Hanks is that he is the best actor that I could think of in our generation for the nonverbal movie scene where you're actually just looking at him. And one of the first movies that popped into my mind wasn't a 90s movie, but, you know, Castaway, where he's not acting against anybody. He's acting to a volleyball. Right. And some of the work that he did in that is is incredible. But I'm just going to point out three three scenes to me that really show what a, what a great actor can do without even saying anything. All right. Just based on his eyes and his movements and his actions. The first one is Forrest Gump. Um, the scene where Jenny tells him that Forrest is, is his child. Mm -hmm. And you see him like he's intently listening to Jenny at the time. And then all of a sudden you see this emotion come into his brain like he's my child. And you can just see it coming on. And to me that was that was great acting. The second one is Philadelphia. I already talked about it earlier. The scene where he's dying and him and Joe Miller are in the hospital room together and he is just by looking at him, you see the whole sense of fulfillment as to everything that they did or what, what they were trying to achieve and that he was able to do that. Um, you go back to big. The, to me, this is really the first time I, you, you kind of see the, the gift that he has as an actor when he's having this conversation with Elizabeth Perkins. Mm-hmm. And she's asking him about, well, am I your girlfriend? And, you know, I, I said before about him being scared about being in the apartment. That was kind of the first time. But really, what I think was his best moment, nonverbal moment, was where he's kind of embarrassed. Mm -hmm. He likes her, but he's embarrassed that he likes her. And it's, it's again, it's looking at a 30-something guy and believing that he's 12. Right. And and I And I saw that scene. And I think to myself, you know, you can totally buy the fact that he's he's a kid in this scene with an adult body, without a doubt. And I think you picked three good ones. I mean, I th the those definitely demonstrate uh, you know what a great actor that you know 
he is. And that's, I think we could go through and pick more, you know, in, in, you know, even in the same movies, you, you could go back and pick, you know, scenes just like that. So I just think it's, it's when we were going to pick somebody kind of be our first um, Gen X, uh, you know, kind of movie, you know, we, you know, a little bit of television, but mostly movie star. I, I, I thought Tom Hanks would be a good one to, to kick it off with. And I, I still, for me, if, if we're going to come down to who's, who's probably somebody that every Gen Xer you know, has seen a Tom Hanks movie. I can't believe you haven't seen a Tom Hanks movie. If if you're out there, a Gen Xer and, and he's such a likable guy. You know, he, you know, even, even when he wasn't appearing in films and on, on you know, on, in sitcoms, he would go on Letterman and he would be, he'd be hilarious. I, I'd, I'd love when he would go on Letterman or, or when he would go on, on you know, like Johnny Carson or he, he was always such a good interview that, you know, it made me want to, to go see his movies because I liked him. And I think one of the something that you and I were always sort of drawn to, and whether it's comedians or, or whoever, somebody who has that quick wit, sure, that sure, you know, that very rapid fire, and it's not like you said he he always claimed that he was a terrible stand up comedian, mm-hmm. but when it comes to like just listening to what somebody says and fire something back that's funny, that's something that you and I have always looked up to, right? Uh, Rodney Dangerfield on Carson. You know, that's not scripted. Uh, you know, Dean Martin, uh, just those, those types of guys that, that are so sharp that they, that they can, that they can just boom, you know, they could say something and just rip somebody to shreds with a con. Tom Hanks is a very, very smart guy. And, and, um, all you have to do is, is listen to him being interviewed or, or have, or listen to him talk and, and, know. yeah, this guy has paid quite a bit of attention to making himself better as an actor and, what a what a you can't really think of a better standard than somebody and even in uh in an interview that i read that he did he's like you know he's going to be 66 years old it means he's been acting for 46 years i mean he never in his wildest dreams back in the 70s and 80s would have thought that he would have gotten to the point where he did and been able to do the projects that he was able to do you know at the time he was just great to get work he was just happy to get work and then for him to evolve to where he, where he does, it, you know, it's quite a quite a compliment. Yep, certainly impressive. So that that does it for episode four. Um, now next week's going to be your episode. So what, yeah. what are you thinking? Yeah. So I, I I did a little uh, uh, consulting with with my wife, and uh, she actually brought up a pretty good one. So hopefully you'll enjoy it as well. So maybe uh, maybe next week you can put on some bell-bottom jeans and some platform shoes and get the mirrored ball because we're going to talk about disco next week we're going to talk about disco music so uh hopefully you're uh, you're ready to jump in because it was maybe not your cup of tea maybe you were into something else but you can't deny the fact that in the mid to late 70s disco was a integral part of our generation so we're going to talk about that next oh, week. sounds good all right all right well We really appreciate you joining us for this week's edition of Gen X Playback, our tribute to Tom Hanks, the actor in uh, the 80s and 90s in particular. Next week, we're going to talk disco music, and we will talk to you next week. Thank you so much for listening on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We're great to have everybody on. Tell your friends if you want to, if you want them to join in as well, and uh, hopefully we'll get something up going where we can get a little bit more audience feedback. So, Uh, Again, can't thank you enough for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. See you. All right, take care.